guys, this is Nancy Miller from My Creative Life, and today I have surface designer Jen Dunlap here with me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Well, I love your floral patterns that I saw on your website, and you have some beautiful traditional paintings that you've done as well. Um, you're a very um, diverse artist, um, so I'm grateful that you would be on here because um, I'm interested in surface design and learning more about this. So can you tell um, the audience a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Um, I am a surface designer, a textile designer specifically. Um, but before that, I really got into it in a sort of circuitous way. Okay. I went to school for painting. Oh. And after that, I got my master's degree in fine art. And I didn't really have a plan as to degree utilization. Oh. I just wanted to paint. Mm -hmm. um, so I got, you know, a day job, as a lot of artists do. And it was taking up so much of my time that I realized that to be really happy, I needed to be creating and I needed to be painting and drawing. And so I started looking into ways that I could make that part of my daily life, um, make that my jobs, so that I could be doing that all the time and paying my rent. And I went down a lot of different avenues with varying degrees of success. And textile design for me was perfect because there's so much painting and drawing involved. Mm. And also I'm a huge fan of doing extremely technical, um, minute little time consuming processes. And textile design has a lot of that when you get into actually making your prints possible for screen printing, which is how most prints are made. So I loved it. I started working with some different brands. I was living in New York at the time. I worked with Macy's and then I worked cool. with Madewell. And then I started freelancing so that I could work with a whole bunch of different brands at once. I've worked with everybody from Diane von Furstenberg oh. to The Gap. Oh my um, so I, uh, I, I've, then I've had the opportunity to work freelance for a whole bunch of different brands. And recently, you know, I'd make something that I thought was really, really cool, but it didn't fit the identity of the brand that I was working with. So I decided to start making some of my own textiles. And I have recently launched my own very small brand of silk accessories called Bond and Venture. Um, so that I could do the, the things that I thought were cool, but weren't right for, you know, a different brand. Oh, that's awesome. I feel like I hit the jackpot with surface design because this is awesome. I'm like, this wealth of knowledge that you have, like, can you tell me how many years you've been in the textile design area? You know, I have, I feel like it's only been five years. I feel like that's actually a pretty short amount of time that I've been doing it. I've just been lucky enough to be able to bounce around to a lot of different places. And a lot of that came from being a freelance textile designer and get to work with a lot of really cool people. Wow, that's fantastic. I mean, it gives those of us who are um, kind of in a different place that we want to be more creative. Like I am a 
a full-time art teacher during the day and I did that I've done that for 11 years now but before that I was I spent about 10 years being a graphic designer and freelance illustrator so I want to get back into that since I'm pursuing my MFA at SCAD in illustration and I took this class with Professor Constantino who it's it's kind of interesting because it wasn't fibers but it was uh, illustration and she did art licensing and she had us do a project where we had to create a repeat pattern a hero uh, pattern for um, some made-up products and it was just so much fun I was like oh there's something <laughs> like you said that technical weird part about it is kind of like getting everything to fit how you envision it and then I love doing like the little mock-ups I don't know it's a little nerdy but it's like I thought it was like, it reminded me of when I was a little girl and I would make things out of uh, like paper dolls and do all this weird stuff that I would just make. And I wasn't like, you know, playing house. I was just making the stuff. I was just like, that part fascinated me. So that is yeah, so totally cool that you've agree. done all that. And I think that textile design, like for me uh -huh. or for you or for anyone that has the artistic skills, it's more than half of it is just having artistic skills and the rest is technical stuff that you can learn and if you like doing technical stuff like I do then it's an awesome thing to do every day <laughs> amazing because I looked at your patterns and I know you said they were a little bit um older but the thing was I love the fact that they felt like they were traditionally done like I could tell like oh, this has the feeling of whether it's acrylic and it's abstract or you're doing something with a watercolor feel to it with maybe a pen and ink. So I like the seeing the variety. It wasn't just like I do this one thing. You have a very broad uh, range. Oh, thank you. I think that a lot of that is because I my foundation was in painting and fine art. And so I had to work with so many mediums just as a result of the programs that I was in. But, you know, when I was in school as a painting major, I hated watercolor. I, I couldn't get it to work for me. I couldn't figure it out. I, I wasn't good at it. And that really frustrated me. But as a textile designer, you end up using watercolor a lot. And now I really like it. Yeah. <laughs> tell us a little bit about when you when that light bulb came on for you that you're like that moment that you're like I am going to become an artist because like what the other people I've interviewed they have that specific moment it's like a light switch that kind of goes this is what I'm doing this is what I that I know that this is me you know I I don't know that I ever had that light bulb moment of oh, okay. this is this is what I'm gonna do I think you know, from a very young age, I was always painting and drawing, but I was also crafting, doing paper mache, and my dad taught me to, like, work with wood and build things, and so I was always creating something. I still make all of my own panels to paint on and all of that because I can work with the power tools, <laughs> um, but it I don't know if it was uh the the prevail prevailing like cultural sentiment around me or what but it didn't occur to me that making art was a career or that many people outside of very famous ones you know were artists mm -hmm. I thought that that was this whole other thing 
And when I was younger, I thought I'd be lots of things, as I guess we all do. I thought I'd be a doctor. I thought I'd be, you know, very academic things. But it wasn't until I got to college, my first year of college, when I was not in art school and I didn't know what I was doing. It's kind of crazy that they expect 18-year-olds to decide what they want to do for the rest of their life. But I was an English major. Wow. <laughs> mostly because I liked reading, and that was the extent of that thought process. Um, and then I wound up taking a lot of extra art courses because I liked doing it. And I had an amazing professor who said, no, this is you. This, this is what you should be doing. And he'd actually went to SCAD. I was at school in Texas at the time, but he had gone to SCAD and I was from Savannah. And he said, you need to do this. You need to transfer schools and you need to go to SCAD. And so I did. And I'm so grateful to him. Dan McGregor, amazing, (laughs) inspirational. What a guy. And so I went to SCAD and I was a painting major. But, you know, to answer your question in a very roundabout fashion, (laughs) um, I didn't think I was an artist really. Like I'd already got an MFA. I was already out working with that day job that I mentioned earlier. And I didn't say, hi, I'm Jennifer, I'm an artist. I said, hi, I'm Jennifer, I work in advertising. And it was so, retrospectively, it's so weird that I didn't even introduce myself as such, but it wasn't until I started working in a creative field that I really, maybe it's a self-esteem issue. (laughs) I, I just, I thought, I didn't feel even confident describing myself like that. But now, okay. I real I guess I realized that I have I've been an artist for like a long time. But oh, that makes me feel better because your work is phenomenal. I go like, really? Like the people I interview, I go like, your work is great. Like, why would you? You know that they? You know you would go through that period of time because it feels like when I look at your art, like, like she knows what she's doing. She knows she has this direction and path that you can see in the work. So, wow. Can you tell us like how you made that switch though? Because to go from a fine arts background and then to go into text, I mean, was it just like, hey, you know, we need somebody to do this? Or, and you know, how did you get into that market? Well, I have some amazing friends uh, who not only are very talented textile designers, but are really great and generous people. And uh, in New York, I was living in New York at the time, and they kept saying, come on, do textile design. You'd be so good at it. And I don't know why I feel like a brat in retrospect, Mm -hmm. because I was like, no, I'm not a textile designer. I don't even know what my thought process was when I said that. I don't know if I was just scared of going into a new field and pretending I knew what I was doing or if I just didn't have a very clear concept of what textile design actually entailed but I was resistant until one of them said listen I have a freelance job I can give you if 
you make a portfolio and you learn how to do this. And at the time I was so unhappy in my day job and I'd been trying so hard to figure out a way to bring art into my daily life. I was like, all right, let's do it. So I buckled down. It took me about three months because I didn't really know how to make a print and I made a portfolio and I got hired as a freelancer and I learned the majority of what I know technically in that job, you know, fake it till you make it. Right. And as a result of that, I, I got other jobs. You just need that one way to break in to an industry and, it's really hard a lot of times and I'm so grateful that I had friends that were already involved that were willing to give me a chance. I think that I probably possibly would have done it eventually, but it was amazing to be given the opportunity. Awesome. Well, I think you probably also just, I, I think you don't give yourself enough credit because you must have worked very hard in that three month period to create all of those designs to bring and to understand that kind of um, technical aspect and be willing to put the time into it and all that. So you're, you're a smart cookie. I would say you must, you know, you have it, you know, you know what I mean? Because it's like, that could be overwhelming for a lot of people just to kind of step into that situation. And so the people who thought you could, do, they knew from your personality and probably from your work and from your body of work that she can handle this. She's got this. And this would be a good fit for her. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's so, that's so kind of you to say. Thank you. Oh, no, that's great. And so when you are working through this process, I'm so fascinated by this. Okay, so you're working through this three months of getting the, this work together. So were you, how did you kind of narrow down? Because there's so much, like I can definitely see you like the floral patterns. And then you have these beautiful abstracts that's like, I wish I could be that free with my different different mediums but like how do you figure out like how do you narrow it down because textiles is very wide and broad I mean did you know was it because of that first job of what they were asking you to design for that demographic or I think a lot of it especially early on came from not knowing what I was doing and so just making things that I thought looked cool And then, obviously, textile design. I do I do design, and I have designed for clients in home goods, you know, but the majority of my work has been with fashion brands. And fashion often is not a do-whatever-you-want kind of thing for a textile designer. Uh, the brand has an identity you need to follow, and then where fashion's at has, you know, a theme that's going on in any given season. And so I started making a bunch of just wacky stuff because I liked it. And then I realized that I needed to a little more accurately conform to identities that were perhaps outside of my own. And then I realized I could start sneaking myself back in yeah. <laughs> to the prints going forward. Because yeah. I was talking to another surface designer, and she was saying um, she works for a Kohl's, and so they have a whole team that does their 
forecasting the trending part. And so, I, like, you're starting your own business. Like, how do you, like, that just boggles my mind. Like, how do you forecast, how do you know, are you, you know, looking at to get the accurate trends for a season? And um, the service designer I ever talked to, she was like, we work a whole year, like a season ahead. So it's yes. like, how do you know that you're going in the right direction that for prospective buyers of your uh, design? Well, for me in the business that I have recently started for myself, I, I'm kind of thinking of it more along the same lines as I think of my fine art practice, which is that I feel like there are some themes, motifs, mm -hmm. images, colors that are somewhat timeless. I don't know if people like in the 70s, for example, when everything was orange and brown and green, I don't know if they thought that they were creating timeless color schemes. And so maybe I am too in the moment to uh, really get outside of it. But with my work, I try to look at uh, art history and these works that have had the staying power through hundreds and hundreds of years and what about that work has done that I mean some of them are just because they were like somebody happened to get famous and now all of their work's amazing and we love it regardless mm -hmm. which you know whatever <laughs> where are the women but okay <laughs> but with the designs that I'm trying to make, my textile designs, I think, okay, if I make this so that it's beautiful, um, it can be of any moment, which I guess is a fancy way of saying I don't do a ton for myself of trend forecasting, but I have to do it for my freelance textile design work so maybe it's just in my head and I'm taking it for granted <laughs> well I think you're just your designs that I've seen they're very on point and they do fit like it feels very fashionable and very like yeah I was like yeah I just yeah I was just fascinated it was just a wide breath and I like the ones that I saw with the animal prints because that's really hard because I was looking at that I was like ooh, that would have been hard to do to make that pattern because it feels like it's natural it feels like you took that off of an animal's you know but it's it doesn't feel like overtly it just feels very flowing and sometimes you get patterns that are just a little too mm, you know some are meant to be that way but I really like that because I I think that looked harder than probably if, if you didn't know that's for in that if you weren't familiar with textile designs you'd be like oh they just like grab that off of a an animal or and then just copied it but I was like now you kind of have to fit that to get it to look like that and it doesn't look overly repetitive you know like how do you stay fresh this is my question from my friend who's a graphic designer in New York he says how do you keep that freshness about your work um without you know what are some things that you do in order to go oh I'm getting a little stale here or do you do anything in particular with that or do you just I think um you can find yourself in a work black hole. You think you've got to keep creating and keep creating because that's what defines you as a person, you know? But I think that 
it's good to have that kind of drive, but I think it can stifle your creativity. I think in addition to that, being as I think is often the case, or at least the temptation in sort of these insular worlds, the the textile design world or the graphic design world or even the painting world, you start um, being in this circle of your only reference is the other people who are doing what you're doing instead of anything outside of you. So I think it's good to get outside of your own head as well as to get outside of maybe your community. Um, I used to really beat myself up over it when I, I would feel like I need a break. Like I'm dead. I don't have anything to say. I don't have anything to create, but I gotta keep creating, you know, but all I really needed was to do something completely different. I needed to go to the beach and look at how the waves were crashing into the shore, not on purpose as an effort to acquire some inspiration, but just get out of where I was and allow myself, be generous with myself to be able to take that break. That's what helps keep me inspired is not actively seeking inspiration. That's a good point. And I've heard with some of the things you're saying, I've heard from other very successful artists in their field. They're like, look at other things outside of just where you're at and look at, you know, whether it's fine art or going out to different places to get that inspiration to kind of refresh. So that's good to hear. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so that kind of hit apart upon the question about how you stay motivated. So can you talk a little bit more about your business that you're starting? Because that is a huge undertaking. Like that is like really awesome. That's great because like, you know, you must have a sense of wanting that autonomy. I feel like people who want to start their own business, it's that need to have that a little bit, maybe it's a little OCD control thing, but it's also like, it's that also that autonomy. It's about having that ability to say, I get to dictate the direction I want. And especially in the creative field. How do you, your business, tell me about it. Well, uh, it is called Bon and Adventure. Mm. It is loosely named after Bonaventure Cemetery in Savannah. Oh, cool. uh, but it is Bon and Adventure. Um, I think, you know, I think that a lot of artists and creative people really, really want that autonomy. Um, so for me to be able to branch out on my own is something that I think has always been in me. Um, so I, as I said earlier, I was working with a lot of other brands. And like you were just saying now, you, it's not you and you can maybe find joy in being able to create in that process, but it can feel stifling. But then on top of that, uh, nobody, at least that I could afford, was making the kind of textiles and accessories that I wanted to wear. So initially I started out 
with myself as the client trying to make patterns and designs that I wanted to wear. And then I think one of the problems with the artistic autonomy that a lot of people feel um, and designers as well, when they start out on their own business is understanding that it is a business that you have a customer or if as a fine artist that you have an audience that you aren't, I mean, plenty of people, plenty of artists create just for themselves, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. And I super support that. Mm -hmm. But if you are creating with the intention of it being a product that people purchase or an artwork that people will see or hang in their homes, then you have to start considering your audience and when I first got started uh with my own business I was I was I guess I was just really naive I thought well if I like it I'm a person other people will like it (laughs) but that's just not the case so I had to really start thinking about how I could make designs that I stood behind a hundred percent because it is my business and I never want to make something that I feel is just pandering to an audience and say, Oh, people love, you know, whatever cats. I'll do something with a cat on it because that's, that's not something that I can stand behind. And I can believe that's something I can make for another brand, but it's not something that I'm going to make for my own. So trying to find a way to merge what I believe in with what other people will like without betraying any of my values. That's been the journey that I'm on in starting my own brand, but it's, it's really fun. And, you know, the more people that learn about me or reach out to me and say, Oh, this is beautiful. I'm like, yes, I thought it was beautiful, but yes, thank you. So you're taking your pattern, and you said you're making them into actual accessories from the patterns. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the products that are using your patterns on them? Uh, oh, sure. Well, I'm I'm starting very small because I'm just one person. So I have started with I have silk scarves, oh, wow. and I have silk chiffon wraps and like beach cover-up type things as well as caftans I'm wearing one right now so pretty (laughs) I was wondering I was like "Ooh, is that one of her you know designs I was like "Ooh, that is really beautiful thank you silk caftans which are actually uh they're extremely roomy because they're made from silk scarves great of course for the very very muggy savannah summers and all of that and then i'm doing just small sort of little clutch purses in cotton and denim everything that all of the motifs and images that i'm using are inspired by the south i grew up in savannah georgia and 
I left for a long time, but it was always calling me back. And so I moved back here about three years ago. And so I work with a lot of like the flora and fauna that's native to Savannah and the surrounding areas, dogwoods and magnolias, um, jasmine, uh, wisteria, all these southern plants, as well as I've got a lot of snakes and cicadas, moths, things like that. And keeping it very, I, I, perhaps ironically, as someone who for the majority of their life wore exclusively black, <laughs> very colorful, uh, lots of, I try to use colors that you might not think of or colors that you might not think of together because I'm trying to create, because they are accessories, something that you could, if you're someone like me, who typically just wears black, it's your statement, it's your pop, and that can go with a lot of different things. Um, that's, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun. I awesome. Next up is bandanas. And then eventually I hope to expand into different, different all different kinds of textile-based products. Oh, that's awesome. So are you just, uh, so for right now, it's just kind of like, are you an online um, storefront? Um, what's the we what's the website? So if people want to go check it out. Oh. Like, because you said Bonaventure, <laughs> yeah, but I didn't know if it was Bonaventure.com or if there was something, you know. It is. It's Bonandventure.com. Oh, okay. um, and unfortunately, I guess, for the world, but for me as well, uh, I was going to, I have a small storefront in the Starland district of Savannah. It's a space that I share with a friend of mine who does these amazing architectural prints of historic Savannah houses, as well as uh, architectural maps of the squares. And we were going to sort of launch our physical location, our storefront over St. Patrick's Day weekend, which is a huge time to be in Savannah. But of course, with how the world is right now, we were unable to do that. So I am working to launch a little, a bit more softly, but also globally because of the internet. Awesome. So com, as well as you know, the Instagram is Bon Adventure, the Facebook is Bon Adventure, um, and I'm I'm looking forward to getting back out of my house soon. I guess we all are. Yes, yes, but I I think it'll be very successful. Your designs are beautiful, and I think it's just getting the right people to see them, and especially anybody who's. Um, a fan of the South and just the things that you, the motifs that you mentioned on there, they're very appealing. I mean, it's appealing to me because like there are, I, I live um, in the South in Savannah too. And there's something about this, the Savannah area that draws you in. And those motifs yeah. are, are very um, iconic for the area. So like, yes, I think kind of gets in you. Yes, you know, exactly. Sucks you in. Yeah. A lot of my friends that I went to school with in Savannah, who were not from Savannah, either stayed or left and came back. It's just, it's a really magical place yes. that I think so much 
it can inspire you in so many ways. So if you're an artist, it's awesome to be here. I totally agree. So um, another thing I wanted to ask is when you do your textiles, this is more of a kind of a little bit software wise because I've the other textile designer I talked to, she primarily works in Photoshop. And then I didn't know some people, I can tell it's probably more Adobe Illustrator. And then um, she mentioned also Caitlin Yoder. She said there was another piece of software called, I think it was Net or something like that, that sometimes the fibers people uh, on the other departments would use. I didn't know what you use for your designs as far as, you know, and kind of a little bit about your process or, you, you know, your sketching or, you know, Yes, sorry, that's a multi-question one. Your process. No, it's totally all right. All the questions go together. <laughs> so I do primarily use Photoshop. Um, I The brands that I have worked with primarily use Photoshop. Uh, some people will branch out and work in Illustrator. I say branch out like it's crazy, but no, I mean, some people do work in Illustrator, yes, especially yes. because with the Adobe Suite, you can obviously transfer the Illustrator into the Photoshop and vice versa without too much hassle. So that's convenient. There's other programs that some companies use, like Ned Graphics, okay. which as a freelancer, that is uh, not a good option for me. It's a very expensive software. Uh, it's a great software, but you can do in Photoshop okay. what it enables you to do more easily. So I... I'm so familiar with Photoshop at this point that it's just all the commands and I'm just like just popping them off. Um, I love Photoshop, but I start, I, I always start with a drawing of some kind, either in pen and ink. That's a good one for textiles because you can get the, the deep contrast. Uh, or watercolor, I do acrylic, gouache, um, colored pencil. You can use anything to make a textile when you're first starting off. Um, and then it just, it, it depends on what you want your finished product to look like. If you want some of the very flat and classic prints, you obviously want to use gouache or even markers of some kind so that it's easy easier to get that when you start manipulating it in Photoshop. But a lot of times, and some of the prints that I think are really special are, like you said, when we first got on this call, where you can really see that there was the hand of an artist in there, that somebody actually made what you're wearing on your body. It's wearable art. So you start like that, or I do anyway, and then I scan it in and I open it up in Photoshop. You want to obviously make sure, maybe not obviously, I'm sorry, you want to be sure that you scan it at a really high DPI because your textiles are going to be printed probably at around 300 DPI. So if you're scanning in smaller than that or you're working smaller than that, then you're going to be really upset when you have to enlarge it and it doesn't look right and now you have to start over. So you want to work at a really high DPI on a really large canvas and depending on how 
your print is going to be printed, if it's going to be digitally printed or if it's going to be screen printed, as well as depending on some brands, for example, can only use three or four screens in their printing, which means three or four colors. Um, so once you get all of the elements in place and how you want the print to be, you go put it in repeat. Uh, I liked what you were saying earlier about how, although some prints are meant to have a repeat that's easy to see, it's, I, I like to make prints where hopefully you won't immediately see where the pattern is repeating. I think that that makes it uh, more fun for the eye when you're looking at a garment uh, or a home good. Um, and so after getting it into repeat, you go through the process of color separating it, which is literally separating out the colors that they can be screen printed in these industrial screen printing facilities that manufacture the, the majority of textiles for any use. Uh, the, the norm is usually 12 colors or less, and you would not believe how many colors are actually in any image that you've scanned into your computer. I mean, you'll go, you'll start trying to take the colors down. You think that you're looking at a black and white print, and there's thousands if not hundreds of thousands of colors in that print that are all just very subtle different shades okay. of black okay. so you have to make sure that it's all exactly 12 colors or less not just visually mm -hmm. but technically mm -hmm. then you can separate it out into screens and send the whole thing off to the printer and then they take your file and they can print it Awesome. Okay, that's fascinating because uh, that part I was like I worked as a graphic designer, but it was with um, more printing in the sense of just magazines. I worked at, at, in advertising as a magazine um, for yes, in a magazine. So it's very that's different versus screen printing to have only the screen for that color. So versus CMYK. So that's interesting. Yeah, that's definitely would make it challenging. And I do like what you said about I couldn't tell. Like, I kept looking at your patterns. I'm like, where is the I know this is repeating somewhere, but I'm like looking, and I think that's why it feels very natural. Like I look at um, being in an illustration background, I do find um, not that I do this, but I admire people who do like fashion illustration. So I could definitely see like because of the flowing and the natural feel of your patterns, really looking nice on like a fashion illustration, especially nowadays that you see like that that line work, and they kind of go in with some of those pops of color and everything so definitely yeah I, I love your work um, um so what would you say is the most indispensable item in your studio that you couldn't live without well <laughs> right now um it is actually my sewing machine because I have been sewing masks like crazy for the pandemic. And all of my freelance work, which is based in New York, is not available to me right now. Um, it's a hard time for everybody, I think. So I have a sewing machine, and I had a lot of fabric from 
making uh, the textiles that for Bon and Venture that I've been making. And I had a lot of fabric samples that I'd ordered trying to source the right materials. And I thought I can make, you know, I can make at least like 20 masks with what I've got on hand. So I did. And then I made some more and then I had to buy supplies and then people kept asking for them. So I bought supplies again and I've made about 200 now and there's no end in sight. So definitely currently my sewing machine is the only thing I use. It's very important in my studio right now. Wow. You're just so multi, just faceted with your painting and your textiles and then so that's amazing to me because I think nowadays to me it's because everything is we have such a lot of mass production we're just kind of used to that and when things are made from hand like that it's just something special about it and and so that's awesome that's great yeah and I do I, I really agree that I, I am fascinated and in awe of the people who are able to make totally digital art. I think that's a crazy mm -hmm. skill and there's such beautiful stuff out there. Um, and then I also think that when you know that, I think it's what drew me really to painting as my medium of choice in the first place is when you can sit there in front of a painting and see that a uh, wow, the person who made this was standing right where I am right now, putting that paint down. I think that's a special experience. So I do, I, I like the handmade thing. And I like working with my hands anyway. Just, I have a lot of nervous energy. So. <laughs> I think we all have that as artists. I'm a little bit, I think that's why I've kind of, um, done a lot of different things I feel like I was like spent 10 years it seems like every 10 years I switched to something different or you know 10 years yeah. as graphic designer illustrate then I was like you know what I'll become an art teacher 10 years of that or actually 11 years now now like I'm gonna go back full-time get my master's degree I don't know what else is gonna lead it to but you know it's like one of those things I feel like life is it's, it's one of those things I go like, that looks interesting. Let me try that. Yeah. Whether I'm going to fail or not, it's just something that, that interests me and I want to learn about it. So, I, I, I am very much the same. <laughs> I totally agree. So I was wondering if you could go in a time machine back to your earlier days and if you could tell yourself a bit of advice that would help you out now in your current business, what would you tell yourself? Ooh, interesting. <laughs> um, I think, first of all, I'd tell myself to stop messing around and just do it already. I think that, again, as perhaps a self-esteem issue, it took a really long time. It took a long time, as I said earlier, for me to say that I was an artist. And it took a really long time for me to change careers to an art-based career. And then it took a really long time for me to try to start my own thing. And I think a lot of that, for me, was just fear. Uh, fear of failure or fear of letting myself or others down or fear of not being good enough. Just fear. And I think I would have maybe shook my younger self and said, stop it. <laughs> stop being afraid you've got this, go out there and do it, get started, instead of making excuses for why it would never work, it was too scary, or whatever, 
just said, go for it. That's so inspiring because your work is so great. I go like, how could she ever have a moment of doubt? Because it's really well done. I go like, I go like, whether it's the painting or the textiles, I was like, oh, she's, yeah. It's So it's inspiring for those of us who are feeling that anxiety about doing this you know the changes and making that commitment because I get a little nervous I'm older than a lot of my other fellow students in class and I've been around the block a lot and so it's hard because I have to remind myself you know I don't need to worry about what they're doing that's great because the illustration is such a broad field and I'm interested in this aspect of it and they do beautiful work and I would never try to be a concept artist for video games or anything like that because that doesn't fit my drive, but they make beautiful work in that area or in other um, aspects. So it's been a kind of a switch in my mindset about I'm trying to make better work than for myself versus the artist I was six months ago, a year ago. Can I improve upon that and where I want to go? So Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's a place for every everyone that's in, you know, your industry or mine there's there's room for you know if you do want to be doing these like concept things and that's what you're into and that's what you're good at you you as somebody who might not be interested in that you don't have to think oh I should get really good at that so I can be competitive because that's not where you're trying to go you don't have to do it all you have to do the things that are on your path that's great that is a wonderful um words of advice so my very last question, it's a very deep question, but say at the end of your life, you've made all the art that you've wanted to, you've lived a full life. If there could be nothing left behind of your existence, but a note with three final truths, what would they be? Okay. I think that maybe the most important one for me is that your legacy is not going to be what you took from the world. It's going to be what you put into it. So I always try to live in that way. Um, and then I think slow down, I think, is an important one. Because, you know, like we're all... It's, it feels like we need to be going all the time and with, you know, the internet and social media and we feel like we need to be the best and we need to be on top of things. And if we ever take time to relax, then we're failing somehow. But I think that there's a lot of success to be found in slowing down. Um, and then the last one was um, the easiest thing to see in the world is what's ugly or bad or unfair. It's what we like text our friends about. Like, I can't believe what so-and-so said to me. It was so upsetting. Or, you know, it's raining and that sucks. Those are the things that are at the forefront of our mind. So those are the things that we think about because they're hurting us in some way. But if you can readjust your thinking to see um, what's maybe sometimes harder, but what's beautiful and what's kind, um, then I think for me, at least, that really drives my work, not dwelling on what's wrong or bad, 
And I mean, I really respect a lot of like very political artists who make these sweeping cultural statements and they can inspire change. And I think that's really important. And I think that we need that. But for me, I want to remind people of what is good. So those, I think, are my three truths um, in not just the, the art that I'm trying to make, but in, in general, as a person. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I, I can see that about your personality and about your work. And so it was, um, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. And I know that your brand is going to be very successful. Um, and yeah, I can tell. I'm like, oh, just her personality. I just probably want to stop in your shop and just like look at every everything's beautiful, but your personality radiates, and it just you know it's interesting. I don't mean to stereotype surface designers, but there there's something like the last surface designer I spoke to, Caitlin Young. Very like it's just like that whole feeling about life, about giving back. She's very much like that, and having that sense of positivity. And I was just like. Oh, it just feels enlightening. Not only is the artwork beautiful and enlightening, your personalities are very enlightening. So it's been delightful talking to you. And um, <laughs> thank you so much. And, um, and everybody, thank you for listening to My Creative Life. Thank you.